to Cincinnati. A lot of things to talk about as we welcome you to this 432nd episode of Unscripted, but I must start where my heart is closest to, and that is congratulations to Coach Paul Christ, Athletic Director Barry Alvarez, and everybody associated with the Wisconsin Badgers, the University of Wisconsin football program, as the Wisconsin Badgers, picked by some of these so-called pronosticators after they lost on Saturday in the Big Ten Championship game to be going to limp dick bowls like the, oh, what was it? Uh, had Wisconsin going to the Gator Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or whatever else bowl, the Toilet Bowl for all I care. Go fuck yourselves. The Badgers, you know, and I, I don't like to do this a lot, and Chris is sitting right here as I do this, and I don't do this a lot. But I will say right now, in the content of where I'm going with this, is that I told you so. And I'm very happy today to be able to tell you that I told you so. I told you that if Wisconsin stayed within the point spread, which was 16.5 points, on Saturday in the Big Ten Championship game against Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin was up 21-7 at half, totally dominated the first half, and then the athleticism of the Ohio State Buckeyes took over in the second half. And, and great respect and congratulations to the Big Ten champion Ohio State Buckeyes. And I'll get on to them later. But I told you on one of our episodes last week of Unscripted that if Wisconsin stayed within the point spread and considering that the team that it was a, it was a competition between Penn State and Wisconsin to represent the Big Ten Conference at the granddaddy of them all, the, the Rose Bowl, the difference was going to be if Wisconsin stayed within the point spread, which they did on Saturday in the Big Ten Championship game, and the previous week when they went into Minneapolis and beat the University of Minnesota by three touchdowns, beat them by 21 points, whereas three weeks before that, Penn State went into Minneapolis and lost to the Golden Gophers. That was going to be the difference, and damned if it wasn't as Wisconsin was picked to represent the Big Ten in the granddaddy of them all at the Rose Bowl versus the Oregon Dunks, the 10th trip to Pasadena for the Badgers and the first one since a 45-38 to loss to Oregon back in 2012. Wisconsin overall in their previous nine trips to the Rose Bowl, Wisconsin has won three and lost six. Six, excuse me. But regardless of all that stuff, I'm very happy to say that Wisconsin, with a 10-3 and record, and a lot of people thought that that loss to Illinois might come back and kick them in the ass, but it didn't because Wisconsin came back, beat Minnesota, and played very respectfully against a very talented Ohio State team on Saturday in the Big Ten Championship game. And the ramifications for Ohio State not covering the point spread was simply this. When the college football playoffs were set on Sunday, LSU took the number one seed. Ohio State slipped to the second seed. Clemson third. Oklahoma sneaks in at number four. But the difference there was LSU beat a good Georgia team 40-7 to in the SEC championship game. And 
that night, Saturday night, in the Big Ten championship game, Wisconsin, excuse me, Ohio State beat Wisconsin, but the final ended up only being 34 to 21. That was the difference right there. Congratulations to Ed Orgeron and the LSU Tigers. They will play number four Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl. And then number two Ohio State will take on the team nobody wants to play right now, Dabo Sweeney and the and the Clemson Tigers. They're the third seed. Ohio State and Clemson will play in the Fiesta Bowl. So congratulations to those five teams and uh, the rest of the Bulls I don't give a damn about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really, what? I don't care. I really don't. I'll be watching the two semifinal of the of the uh, college football playoffs, the LSU-Oklahoma game, which LSU should kick the crap out of Oklahoma. Ohio State and Clemson is going to be a very good football game. And can remember this, the last time that Ohio State and Clemson played in the Fiesta Bowl as members of the college football playoff, Clemson beat Ohio State 31-zip. I don't understand any of the bowl games. I mean, I, I other than... Which which one's for the national championship? The Orange well, Bowl or no? They'll just they just have a separate game then. Oh, that's uh, not even a bowl game. No, it's just a, the the championship game. The championship game happens, I believe, like the Monday the sixth of January, maybe Tuesday the seventh, somewhere in there it happens. And um, I think this year I don't even know where it is, but the Ohio the LSU Oklahoma winner will face the Ohio State-Clemson winner for the national championship a week after these games are played. But there's a million bowl games, and they're all... 41. And there's and they're all for nothing. Correct. It's, yeah. it's just a way for the old men cartel to say, hey, uh, oh, you guys are playing for something. It's a bowl game, right? I mean, you guys are playing for something. Oh, yeah, look. Oh, yeah, it's, it, it means a lot. Yeah, yeah, look how important this is because they don't have a proper playoff. Well, re- they don't have re- proper championships. Remember now... Every team, like this year, as an example, in the Big Ten Conference, nine of the 14 teams in the Big Ten, I'll figure that one out, but nine teams got bowl invitations. And each bowl comes with an amount of money set with it. Like the Badgers will make $5 million for making it to the Rose Bowl. But then they every team, like even the Rose Bowl and the Jerkwater Toilet Bowl, Whichever, you know, all those nine teams, whichever the monetary gain, they'll pool those and then they'll have to distribute among the 14 conference members. But it's just, I, I don't have, a, I don't think I'm capable of having any of that be meaningful to me other no, than I the national that. championship game. I kind of get that. These bowl games, it's just, oh, it's a bowl game. It's a prestigious thing for alumni and like you say, the old men to sit there and scratch their balls and and say, oh, I went there 45 years ago, and we just won the Rose Bowls. So. I'm, I'm not trying to come no, down I on Wisconsin or anything. Like, that. Good for I, them. I that's, that's great. I'm happy for the Wisconsin football program. I have issues with the National Collegiate or the National Communists Against Athletes as well. Yeah, no, I'm I mean, just happy today that Wisconsin was rewarded for a good season. They played as well as they could on Saturday against a very good Ohio State team. I truly believe this. You, And I think you'll agree with me to some point. I think... That Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson, those are three football teams. I'm not including Oklahoma. But LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, I believe, are good enough that they could stay with a couple of the lower echelon NFL teams. I really believe that. I believe believe that LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson could stay with the Jets, the Dolphins. Um, Who's the other shitty team? 
the Bengals. The Bengals, for sure. Although they're, they're better with Cordy Glenn and Andy Dalton. But you said something like this on a recent episode, and then yep. our buddy Greg uh, wanted you to know that he completely disagrees with you, and he thinks that that's absolutely ludicrous, and that there's no I way I didn't that's say anybody was going to beat an NFL team. I didn't. I said that I believe that there's a three college teams that could stay with the lower echelon of NFL teams. And there's some very good players on some of these teams, but there's also a ton of players that are at best CFL caliber, maybe wouldn't make a CFL team, maybe will never play football again after this. And so I think that, you know, a few college hotshots, many of who, no matter how good they are in college, won't turn out at the NFL level. That, that seems like a tall well, order to overcome. Well, first of all, it is a tall order, and I don't know, I know it'll never happen, but I have an opinion, just like anybody else. I still have a freedom of speech, unlike my friend Don Cherry, who doesn't seem to have a freedom of speech. And as much as I respect Greg, um, Greg does not know the college game like I do. And all I was saying was that I believe that I'm not saying anybody, I'm not saying that the Ohio State Buckeyes are going to beat the Cincinnati Bengals, but what what I truly believe is that Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU could stay with a couple of these NFL teams that are really dog shit. And I think it was really something when Urban Meyer, who, you know, I don't have the greatest of feelings for, but I respect him as a winner of three national championships at the collegiate level. Urban Meyer believes, because he recruited these four kids, the, the, the starting, back, the starting uh, corners and safeties, so the defensive backs that started the game Saturday night for Ohio State against Wisconsin, he believes all four of those kids are first-round NFL draftees. So um, when Urban Meyer says something like that, he has the credibility to back it up. And again, he's not saying that Ohio State's going to go out and beat the Cincinnati Bengals or the Miami Dolphins or the New York Jets or the New York Giants, for all that matters. But I think that there's enough talent on on those LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State rosters that they could make it interesting against the lower echelon the shitty teams in the NFL that are looking to be the number one overall draft pick in next April's draft. So, Greg, you have an opinion. I have an opinion. I respect yours. Please respect mine. Let's talk about week number 14 in the National Football League, which is almost completed except for the Monday night game, which who gives a damn between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants. And I think this is probably one of the reasons why ESPN's Monday night crew of Joe Tessitore and Anthony McFarland is terrible because they really get a cavalcade of crappy games this year. And this is the epitome of crappy games. The New York Giants uh, visiting the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Jesus, they're terrible. But I have some casual observations from week number 14 in the NFL and uh, I will throw these casual observations out there and, and see if Chris agrees with me, doesn't agree with me, um, wants to go on a different tangent, that's fine. Um, that's what I love about Chris. Um, I'll just throw out a topic and see if he agrees or disagrees from what I saw from so far, the 15 completed games from Week 14 in the National, National Football League. Despite a powder puff schedule, except for the last two weeks, obviously, meaning the last two weeks for the San Francisco 49ers have been the Baltimore Ravens, and of course on Sunday, in the game of the year, 
against the New Orleans Saints. Last year, the game of the year, I think, obviously, was the L.A. Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs. This year, I think, obviously, the game of the year was the San Francisco 49ers yesterday invading New Orleans, and what a great football game that was. 48-45, I believe, was the final off the top of my head, but I don't give a damn. I was just very happy to be able to watch a game like that. You would have thought a little bit more defense, but offenses prevailed. A really exciting game, up and down for all 60 minutes, but... Despite a powder puff schedule, except again for the last two weeks, the San Francisco 49ers, I believe, are built to beat anybody. And I include the Baltimore Ravens in that. Comments on, despite a powder puff schedule, I believe the San Francisco 49ers are built to beat anybody. Well, sure they are. Yeah, they don't really have any weaknesses, especially if Garoppolo plays like he did yesterday the problem is whether you think the ref screwed up or not uh it it doesn't change the fact that the uh, challenging of pass interference has been a complete disaster and could not have possibly gone any worse this season correct it's been a complete farce Mm -hmm. and then and then at a time like that even if you think that wasn't pass interference to tell a coach that he can't even challenge it because technically it's if anything it was holding and holding is not reviewable right it's, I mean, it's just shocking. Like, I don't know. It's, uh, man, they don't do anything right. It's unbelievable. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, is it some of the people are maybe the same people that run the NCAA or they're like, <laughs> they're all talking or something. I, it's just so poorly done. I mean, Roger Goodell doesn't deserve a million a year, never mind 40 or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, he really does a terrible, terrible job. He never does anything right. He always gives up too much punishment or not enough. Uh, he never knows what he's doing. There's too much inaction. Uh, it's just like I don't know what he does all day. To be honest with you, he's just useless. And so it, it was. It, it was. I thought it was just a disgrace yesterday that that the, the the coach couldn't even challenge it though. I mean, the guy has him wrapped up, and you can't even challenge it. Right. Like that's just you can't. You, to, yeah, I, I thought it was just. I thought it was a real black mark on the game. Uh, you know, it was a great back and forth shootout. It was exciting, and George Kittle at the end with three guys on yes. him and still needed a face mask to take him down yep. uh, and a guy on his back. Like, I mean, it was remarkable. There were such great things, but it was marred by terrible officiating. It wasn't the only game that day, but even if you had a great time for me, it just took the edge off. And it, it you know, to me, uh, the chiefs and Rams last year was easily a more epic game because there wasn't this sort of black cloud hanging over it. There wasn't the controversy. It was just a great back and forth football game. And this it just really felt suspicious, and uh, I just I, I didn't like it. It just kind of ruined the whole thing for me. You know, it's funny um, when you talk about George Kittle. You know how they sometimes uh, kind of put a a uh, position group or whatever to a certain university. Think about the tight ends that have played at Iowa the last couple of years. George Kittle. Noah Font, who had a great game yesterday for the Denver Broncos, with Drew Locke at quarterback. Mm -hmm. Drew Locke throws for 306 yards yesterday, and we thought Elway couldn't pick a quarterback. It's one game, I know. And TJ Hawkinson, unfortunately, was put on IR this week by the Detroit Lions, but I think we have to start considering Iowa tight end university. Yeah, two tight ends in the top 20 picks in the same draft? Right. Crazy. And they played together the last two years at Iowa. Crazy. Um, another observation of mine from week 14 in the national football league, 
and I keep hearing this and hearing this and hearing this, is that Odell Beckham Jr. has been telling everybody that he that he knows that he wants out of Cleveland. Um, and he's also, of course, we've learned this weekend, he's playing with a sports hernia injury. And then his buddy Baker Mayfield, I think, may regret his postgame comments that the Cleveland Browns mishandled OBG's sports hernia injury that will have to be corrected surgically after the season. Um, The mess and the the depths of the mess just continue to keep rolling in the city of Cleveland. It just keeps, they just, it's a cavalcade of crap over there is what it is. Yeah, there was, uh, there's too many factors there that, are not congruent or compatible with each other. And, you know, I, I expressed some um, trepidation at uh, Cleveland in the offseason, if you remember. Yes, I, you did. I said they would finish just out of the playoffs, and that is what they're on pace to do. Um, and, you know, everyone else was like, oh, man, they're you know, minimum 10 wins, and they're going whatever. And I just said, man, I don't uh, I don't think so. I think that's, a, you know, a bit much to expect from this group especially with an unproven coach. And if anything, he is proven now to be a terrible coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's made mistakes like bulletin board material. And man, I mean, yeah, Kitchens has to go. Beckham needs to be traded. Mayfield shouldn't have been first overall. I mean, there's so many issues here. Uh, someone on Twitter, I think, worded it the best. They, they, they pointed out, and I guess I don't have it verbatim here, but they said, so, you know, the star quarterback, after a divisional win is criticizing his own training staff. Like, that just wouldn't happen with a great coach. You know, I don't think that would happen. Or a reputable, with... or a reputable organization. Yeah, that too. And I appreciate that, you know, you know, there's certainly not a one or zero win team or anything. Like, I, they're certainly much better than that. So Dorsey's done something. But, uh, you know, we just straight up laughed when they took Baker Mayfield first overall. And uh, I, just, I just think that was a, that was a tremendous mistake there. And, uh, you know, it's funny that out of those five quarterbacks, um, Mayfield is nothing special. Josh Rosen is a complete disaster. Uh, Josh Allen starting to look pretty good. Uh, Sam Darnold, boy, one week he's a franchise quarterback and the next he's a joke. So I have no idea there. And then they all went in the top 10. And then poor Lamar Jackson was sitting there literally like with his hands on his arms, looking like nobody wants them at 32nd overall, and it takes the amazing talent evaluator, Ozzie Newsome, in his last draft on his way out the door to say, oh, by the way, let's uh, move up to 32 and take this guy and make him a first-round pick, and uh, and there you go. So uh, I, I just I love when great talent evaluation gets rewarded because you didn't see Ozzie Newsome bite on Tim Tebow or Matt Leinert or some of these other, you know, scrambling hot shots, or Baker Mayfield, for that matter. I don't think he even would have gone for that. But he went with Lamar Jackson, who I thought was probably going to be the same as all these other guys, and he's not. So, I mean, good for him. And uh, I, I bet the uh, I, I bet the Cleveland Browns would rather have Lamar Jackson than Baker Mayfield right now. <laughs> for, our, uh, for our Rams fans out there, I was wondering if, uh, after what the Rams did to the Seahawks on Sunday night, the Rams have to win out. They're 8-5 and five now. We know that they have to win out. They have to get to... 11 and 5 to have a realistic chance of of getting into the playoffs but after last night's performance uh on Sunday night football in the Coliseum are the Rams still breathing after manhandling the Seahawks on Sunday night Oh I think so and if you watched Sean McVay in the locker room after yeah, yeah. you you could believe mm-hmm. anything that, that that you know you can believe anything's possible when you see that look Seattle is 
mathematically, this has been mathematically proven. Seattle is the luckiest 10-win team of all time. Based I'm, on the numbers. I may have, yeah, I, I get that, but I may have another alternative for you there, but please finish. Yeah, well, I mean, the numbers show that they have won, they've been so lucky based on the numbers. And I mean, if you watched each game, I mean, even the first time when they beat the Rams, it took a Greg Zerline missed field goal at the end, barely. You know, they should have lost the Bengals week one. Then how different right. would those seasons have been Correct. if they don't get the momentum from that? And the Bengals are a 1-0 team and never have the whole 0-11 hanging over them. Where they, Like, the Bengals, if you look, have been in, like, six one-score games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could easily have been, uh, you know, a five, six-win team. And, I mean, it would have just completely changed the entire course of the season, potentially. So uh, the, the Seahawks, first of all, without Russell Wilson are done are done i mean they're there's they're they're not winning a single playoff game without russell wilson and that's all there is to it and they're not even close they i mean and last night when against a great defense i mean really they their offense scored six points i i mean this is and that's with russell wilson imagine without him so uh yeah they're they, they rely too much on that i know they made some improvements which i think you'll probably want to talk about but uh they're not a super bowl team let's just say that couldn't agree more. The team that I was going to be taking a shot at is my own Green Bay Packers mm. in regard to 10-3. and three. It is paper thin, in my opinion, that the Packers are 10-3, and three, and, and that has only been fortified the last three weeks. The reason being is they got their ass kicked on Sunday night in Santa Clara. The 49ers just disgraced them. And then the last two weeks against teams that'll be fighting for that first overall draft pick, the Giants and the Redskins, the Packers were not done were not, they hadn't put the Redskins away until like a last minute field goal that made it a five, a five point game against Washington. And they've got three rookies in their backfield and Josh Norman got hurt early in the game and, and was, was uh, on the sidelines. The Packers right now are, are soft. The 49ers expo- exposed the Packers for being soft. The Packers have had their best generation, if you will, in regard to this current offensive line and the Packers' offensive line looked like it was high school ready when they played against that 49ers' vaunted front. And then to struggle against the Giants and the Redskins, it does not bode well for a team that right now, because of New Orleans' loss yesterday and San Francisco's win uh, and Seattle's loss last night, that Green Bay sits in the two-spot. Green Bay does not deserve to be in the two-spot. They're in there because of their record, which is 10 and three, but that is very, and this is a Packer fan talking. That is very deceiving that number two seed because green Bay has not played well since the week before their loss to the LA chargers in Los Angeles. They were playing very well and they had gotten around and gotten through missing Devonte Adams for four weeks. And offensively, the Packers have not been the same since Devonte Adams has come back. And the defense has been exposed for what they are. They now have a pass rush with the two Smiths, but they have nothing in the middle. And if you want to beat Green Bay, easy. Run the ball up the middle or throw slant passes or crossing passes across the middle. There's nobody there to stop you. Green Bay will make the playoffs, but they'll be one and done. Yeah, their their performance against George Kittle was just... And George Kittle, remember, had missed the previous number of weeks. And he almost didn't play it. That's right. Yeah. And George Kittle made him look silly and I, on I, one leg. And nothing against George Kittle. But I mean, the, the based on that coverage, I feel like 
I would have been wide open in that. I really do. They weren't oh, even, absolutely. Like, if they're not going to cover George Kittle, they're sure not going to worry about me. So uh, <laughs> that was terrible. I couldn't. I was. In, I was shocked because once again, that was just another week where Greg and I had you know a thirteen game or parlay, and we get twelve right, you know, and we miss out on an insane amount of money. And I guess if we would have just uh, picked the Niners, but we thought that the we get more money if the right. you know we get the upsets, right. whatever, and we thought we could. Uh, you know, take a chance with the Packers, who were fully healthy that game. Yeah, uh, they were coming off of a bye with extra time to prepare, and the yeah, Niners four, were severely banged up. Fourteen days to prepare. Yeah, and they get their ass kicked. Yeah, so that was uh, just another terrible loss for us. So anyway, but yeah, but I, I will just say though, uh, at least on paper, uh, I easily would rather uh, be in charge of the Packers roster than the Seahawks. I'll just say that. Fair enough. Um, the Tennessee Titans are talking about a contract extension for Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill after he was impressive in their win over Oakland. Think about this. There's only one more home game in the history of the Oakland Raiders. Can you imagine what those black hole members are going to do to that stadium after their next and last home game? Oh, my God. Thank God they've got till April to fix that stadium because they are going to tear it up. There's not going to be any grass left. There's not going to be any <laughs> seats left. There's not going to be this. The goalposts are going to go out in some guy's Ford truck. Yeah, someone's going to have a flatbed. And yeah, just, yeah they're just going to operate. Everybody's just going to just back up and just haul whatever they can out of that stadium. But the Titans are talking about a contract extension for quarterback Ryan Tannehill, a 31-year-old. Uh, out of Texas A&M, played the first seven, eight years of his career with the Miami Dolphins, but has had a resurrection in Tennessee under Mike Vrabel. But my question to you, sir, is this. Three games or four games, whatever it's been, it's been a small body of work, but is it a little too early for the Titans to be talking extension with Tannehill? Well, they have to do something. If they've completely given up on Mariota... And Tannehill, at least in terms of fantasy, has been the best quarterback in the league since he started other than Lamar Jackson. So, boy, I mean, it you start to wonder if the problem was Adam Gase. Because yeah. I, I never liked Ryan Tannehill, but I can't deny what he's in. And not only has he played really well, he's trying really hard as well. If you saw him tackle, yeah. uh, Hur- or was it Hurst, who the big guy makes the interception? And then Tannehill's on the other side of the field and getting blocked. And he had to run in a straight line down the opposite sideline, get around this big guy trying to block him, cut all the way across the field, and just with a perfect spear tackle takes out the big guy. Uh, It was a heck of a play. And uh, I mean, clearly he wants to win. He wants to be a starter. He wants to keep his job. And he has just not only been good, but he's protected the football. I think he, what did he just have his first interception of the season or something this week? Uh, He's been really good. I have to give him credit. So good for him. Uh, I would, I would worry about overpaying for how hot he's been. I don't think he can keep that up. And so it would be bad to, give him some sort of lucrative superstar max contract or something like that, that would be terrible. Like right. That's wrong. But if you can get him for a good deal, if he's just happy to be a starter right. and you can pay him, you know, on the lower end of starters and, and lock him up like that, then sure. Yeah, go ahead and do that. But uh, I have no problem with them committing to him and signing him at this point. I think he's proven enough, even though it's a fairly small sample size, as long as they don't overcommit. Don't give him too much term or too many dollars. Yeah. But, if, but if you get him for, you know, three years on the lower end of what starters make, yeah, sure. Why not? I think that I think that would be fine. 
All right, this is uh, in honor of your wonderful wife, Martina. But um, after what I saw from Houston last week, and I know you told me that half of the roster for the New England Patriots was sick, and that obviously played a role. But it was a you know, season-turning thing to beat the New England Patriots like that. But then they turn around at home this week and look like just total crap against the Denver Broncos with a rookie quarterback who neither one of us were too high on in regard to Drew Locke. Drew Locke ends up throwing for 306 yards, third most as a rookie quarterback in Denver front, Denver Broncos franchise history. But my question, besides butt chin, what is wrong with the fucking Houston Texans? One week they look like they're going to the Super Bowl, and the next week they look like they'd get flushed into the toilet bowl. Well, I think that they were partly relying on the excellent defensive coordinator, Romeo Crennel, who's had oh, basically he's had a bad year. Yeah, but I mean, he's basically been undefeated against rookie quarterbacks in his life. He's just eaten them for breakfast and it shows. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, just no, he's lost a lot of weight. Good for him. But no, he but Drew Locke just I mean, there was just no resistance. They Those weren't just a bunch of touchdowns. Right. I watched them all. They were easy touchdowns. Like they were like wide open, no resistance you know slowly stroll into the end zone like there was no resistance from the Houston defense at all but I think you can chalk it up to uh, and this is what the Vegas pros make their money on is noticing all of uh, you know the mentality and what these guys are looking at number one they're coming off a big win against New England so uh, after that you can maybe be a little high on yourself think you can just coast a victory over anyone if you can own the Patriots right and so you don't take Drew Locke and company seriously secondly Honestly, that game doesn't matter too much because there's three weeks left and two of those games for Houston are against Tennessee. And whoever wins those games is winning wins the, division. the division. So, I mean, this week didn't matter. Uh, week 16, I think it is, doesn't matter. Uh, it's really just these two games against the Titans. So uh, they were probably looking ahead to the Titans. So between uh, being flat off of a huge win against a legendary franchise and uh, you know looking ahead to the next week, this that was just a double whammy and they were just not prepared, weren't taking them seriously, weren't overly concerned with them, and uh, Denver took advantage. But I will say that Drew Locke, um, you know what? I don't think that John Elway really looked at him like, oh, I just got to get this Drew Locke guy. I think it was like, well, we're just going to keep drafting quarterbacks and uh, just throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. And so I think that's all this was. I don't think he was overly high on Locke. I could be wrong about that. But I think he just was just grabbing whoever... And, uh, you know, eventually even a blind squirrel finds a nut. So <laughs> maybe this is maybe this is someone John Elway can sink his teeth into. The New England Patriots uh, get booed. And this will be uh, my last question. Oh, I want to talk about this. The New England Patriots get booed off the field at halftime in Boston, trailing the Kansas City Chiefs 20 to 7. That ex-defensive coordinator, ex-head coach, and now television star Rex Ryan says that the Pats, when they make the playoffs, will be one and done. Agreed or disagreed? And what did you think about the reception at halftime for the defending Super Bowl champions? Six-time champions under the Tom Brady regime, but for some reason, illness or not, the Patriots, for the first time to me, in many a year, they look beatable. Oh, they definitely did. There was a lot wrong there. They don't have any receivers who can catch the ball. That Jacoby Myers is useless. I don't blame Tom Brady for being mad at them. They don't look like they can't run routes or catch a ball or anything. Like they don't even look like NFL players. Most of his receivers, 
and just nothing was going right. Even, you know, it, Josh Gordon slipped. It looked really slippery, but, I mean, he falls down. Like, geez, they couldn't do anything. First of all, they need to target James White more from Wisconsin, Thank of you. course. Right? I mean, like, last week, they almost came all the way back when they were getting blown out by Houston because they just started giving it the ball to James White every play, and he just kept running with it and just taking it in. So, uh, and as somebody who owns James White on all my fantasy teams that have any PPR component, uh, I can definitely espouse that you should give it to James White more. Uh, the defense, as we said earlier, though, the defense is still good, but they have, uh, you know, they benefited from the most absurd schedule of all time at the beginning. It was ludicrous. And and they still play Cincinnati this week, which, you know, I, although they've looked better, so who knows there. But it, it's so funny that it's exactly the same as a few years ago where they got destroyed by Kansas City. And the next week, we're on to Cincinnati. Yeah, we're on yeah. to Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I'd yeah, take yeah. Cincinnati in the points right now. Yeah, plus 10. Oh, yep. yeah, for sure. The Did you see the uh, interview they did with Steve Belichick? No. His uh-uh. son? No. So his son is a, whatever, one of the... He's a quality control guy or something. Well, he's the one of the linebackers coach or something yeah. on there. Boy. He'll be a head coach in the league someday. I'm telling you right now. He doesn't really look like Bill, but they're the same person with the same voice. Really? Yeah, they're... And like the exact same, like don't get excited about too much or anything. They're asking about when he was a kid and, you know, other dads would watch cartoons of their kids and Bill's watching football tape with this kid and with Steve. And Steve's like, yeah, there were, you know, lots of times we were together and there were some, you know, memorable <laughs> times. And then, you know, they're like, oh, did you want to expand on any of those? Oh, well, no, we're on to Cleveland. Well, no, we'll just, uh, I'll keep it between me and my dad. Yeah, we'll just do that right so I, I thought it was great but anyway if you've never watched the frank caliendo where he makes where he becomes bill belichick and he does that that's the the on to cincinnati you know <laughs> the, the press conference it's it's pretty funny and they just he just really drives home and nothing seems to phase bill which was funny because bill actually did so show some emotion on the sideline at yeah. one point this week and so did brady actually but uh i, I just think it's so good when in the frank caliendo sketch they ask, they say like bill your house is on fire Houses catch fire all the time. That's that's what insurance is for. We're on to Cincinnati. You know? <laughs> it's great. Anyway, but uh, uh, yeah, the Patriots are beatable. It really depends who they play. Well, for sure. Uh, but let's see. So right now they... Right now, New England and Baltimore in the AFC are still in the buy spots. Baltimore yeah. one, New England two. Can't, right now, if the playoffs started today, Kansas City at, at three would host Pittsburgh at six, mm. and then Buffalo would visit Houston. Buffalo at five would visit Houston at four. Ooh, that's an interesting in one. In the NFC, right now, if the season ended today, Green Bay and San Francisco would earn the buys. San Francisco won, obviously, and the Packers, too. And then in the wildcard round, you'd have number three, New Orleans, hosting number six, Minnesota. And you'd have number four, Dallas, which I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But number four, Dallas, would host a playoff game as they would host the number five's Seattle Seahawks. Wow. So in the second round, you could have in the AFC all division. You, I could see it being Buffalo and New England and uh, Pittsburgh at Baltimore. How intense would those games be? Whew. Yes. Oh, man. The, the Bills could still win the division, which is ridiculous if the Patriots I, don't smarten I, up. I, I do have to say this, though, and, and uh, you had touched on it briefly when we were going through some of my casual observations, but I do have a casual observation about the Buffalo Bills, and I'm really tired of people forgetting about the Buffalo Bills. This, is a, this team has more than just defense, but I do believe for Buffalo to take that next step, Obviously, they've established themselves this year as a playoff team. They were a playoff team last year, breaking that long drought 
since they hadn't been in the playoffs since the 1999 uh, the Miracle Bowl game or whatever, the, the Music City Bowl game, whatever it was. Music City Miracle. Whatever, whatever the hell it was. But uh, Buffalo's Josh Allen, in my opinion, does need to step up a little bit. He's, he's been better. He's been better, but again, to make that next significant step for the Buffalo Bills, so people get off of this thing that they're a, they're an okay team, they're a defensive team, for them to take that next step to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender, Josh Allen's going to have to step up a little bit more and take his game to a next level. And you're going to have to augment his wide receiver core. I get that. I'm glad they're finally using Singletary as the running back. That's strong. But, uh, you know, Buffalo has had a chance the last couple of weeks to send a message. And they then, you know, the one that was really disappointing to me was the loss in Cleveland uh, to the Browns. That should have never happened to a team that I think has real aspirations to make a deep playoff run. Um, before we get out of here real quick, I did make need to make one mention. I have been doing very well this year on my upset picks yeah, of the I know week. I you have, yeah. Until this week. Oof. This week was ugly. This week was UG ugly. Um, I don't know what's happened to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that Doug Baloney boy, Baloney boy Marone has worn out his welcome in Jacksonville. That's for sure. But I thought, and the reason, my reasoning for taking Jacksonville this week was simply that I thought that they would get a bit of a, a jolt of momentum with Gardner Minshew the third at quarterback over Nick Foles. That team really seemed to me to respond well uh, when Gardner Minshew was in there, and obviously the loss of Jalen Ramsey, the loss of this season, Miles Jack has been put on season-ending IR. Uh, but again, I think the biggest thing there is Baloney Boy is just an idiot, and I think he'll be one of many coaches to be given a pink slip when this season concludes. But that is the first week that I've missed that badly on my upset of the week because my upset of the week was the Jaguars. Uh, getting three at home against the Los Angeles uh, Chargers and Philip Rivers and his cast of characters kicked the shit out of the Jaguars this weekend. So, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be perfect this year, but I expected a little bit more out of the Jacksonville Jaguars than I got this weekend uh, on their home field. They've completely quit. I, oh, I, I, I realize that now. And I didn't realize it. No, and, and uh, I was espousing betting more on the Jags than on the Chargers, uh, you know, taking the, the Jags on most of the tickets we bought or all of them even. And uh, I thought that both teams would be down. I just thought Chargers would be even more down, basically getting eliminated, finding ways to lose all the time, flying across the country. Oh. I just, and then all the stuff about what's going to happen is Rivers done. And they just seemed so rudderless. I thought that the Jaguars would be similar, but they'd be at home and they would have Gardner Minshew and they could be excited about that. And, oh, hey, Minshew Mania is back. And then, nope, just just nothing. They've completely quit on Doug Marone completely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's got to go. We've got to run on this 432nd episode of Unscripted. We thank you for joining us, and hopefully can you continue to do so. A lot of things to talk about this week. We are going to dedicate one episode to our uh, Walter uh, website uh, in regard to the top 10 worst free agent signings in NFL history. We had so much fun with uh, some of the draft busts last week that I uh, sent a note to Chris this morning saying, I want to go through the top 10 worst free agent signings in the National Football League. So we'll do that as well. Got some news and notes from uh, the NBA, uh, the National Hockey League, and Major League Baseball. Um, we got a lot of things to talk about, and we'll get to all those topics 
as soon as we uh, put a wrap on this 432nd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of our little program, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.